Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Do you want to make more money in 2023? I know I do. And today on the show, we're going to give you four ways you can make more money. I'm joined by Glenn James, who's the founder of My Millennial Money, and he's going to share what he calls the advanced income quadrant. Now, this is good. I've got to tell you, it's in our book, Sort Your Career Out. You're going to love it. So buckle up. We're here to help you make more money. My name's Shelley Johnson, and I'm a HR consultant at Boldside, and I help leaders and teams build an epic culture. If your team culture needs a bit of work, send my details on to your boss because I can help you out. You're listening to My Millennial Career. Let's get into it. Glenn James, welcome to My Millennial Career. Thanks, Shell. It's great to be back on the show. It's been a while. I think I was only on here maybe the first few episodes that you ever did. So it's great to be a guest back on My Millennial Career. Well, we've got a book coming up. And in this book, what's it called? Sort your career out and make more money. So today we're going to focus on the make more money part, which is your jam. You're quite good at making money and we want to learn from you. And in the book, Glenn, you talk about this thing we're going to get into a bit later on in the episode called the advanced income quadrant. Before we get into the income quadrant, Glenn, is there anything you want to share to lay groundwork for this framework? Yeah, I think when we talk about making more money we just need to step back and understand a couple of things that will be going on because as much as these things are going on for the business owner, it can actually impact those who are employees of the business, whether you're an employee service-based person and you might be a plumber, a beautician, a hairdresser, a I don't know, insert your job here. You might work at a small business at an office, you might be in a call center with a within a larger organization. There's things that will impact what you can be paid. And there's also things as a business owner that can impact you with how much money you can earn. Now, I want to just set the groundwork shell with a bit of a, a recap on this whole thing called market forces. Because once we understand market forces, we can understand how money works a little bit more and particularly like you might be employed within a small business. And I think in Australia, like 75% of the workforce is employed uh, via a small business. So- Wow, that's massive. Don't quote me on that. If it's wrong, that's fine. But there's (laughs) there's a lot of people who are employed by small business, right? So this will help you understand when you are approaching your boss or your team leader- if you do want a pay rise. So market forces, what do we mean by that? 
And we can talk about supply and demand after this kind of little chat shell. But the first thing with market forces is a really simple example with, and let's use the hairdresser. I like using the hairdresser analogy because it's a really simple one that we can understand. So let's talk about my barber. He's charging me $50 to shave my hair. If he wants to increase his prices, he might increase my price for a haircut to $60. And I'll probably like, yeah, he's good. I want to support small business. I'll pay the $60. So he's increased his price so he can get an extra $40 an hour, right? The thing with market forces is it will actually cap out. So if he turned around and said, all right, Glenn, your hair is now $300 for a shave, I'll go to the barbershop down the road because the market dictates that I can get my hair cut in five different locations from my house and they're not going to be $300. They're going to be around $50. So that's where his income will cap out when it comes to market forces. Yeah, so the market tells you the price. Exactly. And so talk to us about then how this relates to our pay and our careers at work. How do we then apply this logic to what we want in in terms of our pay at work? Yeah, and so when we look at it from the business owner's perspective with I want to increase my prices but I can't do it too much because if I increase the prices too much, the customers will go elsewhere, right? As an employee... You might be an award-based landscape gardener and your name's Amy and you're a, an awesome landscape gardener and employed in a business that has 20 people. So Amy, she might be a really good landscape gardener. She's 28 years old and she's paid at level five of the Gardening and Landscaping Services Award 2020 in Australia. And at the moment, it's about $25.50 an hour for that award, right? Now, with market forces, Amy can go to her boss and say, look, I've worked really hard. You know that I've gone above and beyond. You've talked about increasing my salary over the last few months. Is there anything that you can do with my salary? Now, as the employer, you still need to understand market forces when it comes to labor because at the end of the day, businesses businesses pay a price to labor to get a job done for the business. And that's black and white. It's so non-emotional. It's clinical. Here's money, do a job, go home. But there's all the other soft stuff, right? With culture and all that stuff that you talk to that we absolutely need to have in the business. But one side of the coin is the business is paying for labor. Now, the landscape owner could say to Amy, yeah, you are so awesome. We're going to increase your rate to $27 an hour. So we're above the award. So the award... That's the minimum that you can be paid for that role in Australia. I value you as a person and I will be paying you more because you've done a great job and I want to keep you. Like the barber, Amy can't turn around and say to the boss, hi boss, I'm really good at my job. I now want $150 an hour. The boss is going to say, well, that's ridiculous. I'll go and get someone else even if it costs me $70 an hour at the moment. Yeah. which kind of can lead into the supply and demand thing that we want to touch on as well with within labour markets. Yeah, I think it's really important to know that and give that as a really good groundwork and give that as context to how do we make more money? We need to know the environment and the market that we're, we're kind of operating in in yeah. order to ask for the right amount of money if you're asking for a pay rise. Let's talk then about this idea of supply and demand because I think that flows really nicely. When there is a low 
supply of workers, let's say in landscaping, all of a sudden there's no... Well, we could talk about hospitality at the moment. Yeah. Due to the COVID thing, borders closed, you know, supply is low of labour. Especially for like baristas. So I know a lot of hospitality businesses have said they've really struggled to get wait staff, baristas, and as Australians, we love coffee. So yeah. we really want good baristas. So what do you do when you're in those? How does the, the if you're in an environment where there's a really high demand for a barista, but a low supply, how does that impact then your ability to ask for more money? Well, and this is the thing. So you need to know the climate when you're an employee of your industry, of the economic cycle. You know, we talked about on the My Millennial Money podcast about, you know, asking for a pay rise. Like if during 2020 and 2021, your business was shut down and you were on, you know, (laughs) reduced hours because it was a tourism business, you're not going to ask for a pay rise knowing that the business has just been shut down due to COVID. Oh, totally. It would just it would just land really flat, right? That's right. So it's just about knowing the lay of the land. Now, the thing with the supply and the demand, whether it is labour or another really good example was during the pandemic uh, rapid antigen tests, there was a really small supply. People were selling this crap on eBay for like $50 <laughs> per test where you can get now a box of five for... $24 at the pharmacy now. So that's a really good example with supply demand. The supply is low, demand is high. Whoever has the most money will pay and get the item. So that kind of happens with labor as well. So back to the barista thing, if you are in an industry at the moment that has low supply and high demand, well, you kind of leave this award thing because a business might pay you more than the minimum to get you to meet a job. Exactly. And that gives you a lot of like, I hate the word leverage, but I'm just going to say it like leverage when you're in that position. Yeah. What about the flip side of that, Glenn, where you're in an industry? Okay, let's take right now at the time of recording, tech is having some significant changes around the world where people are being made redundant Yeah. and there's a high supply of people from that industry and lower demand. What do you do in those scenarios? Yeah, I think it's just understanding the supply and demand thing and the market forces thing, it cuts both ways. And when we talk about the advanced income quadrant, it's setting up your life and your career to be removed from market forces and to be removed from supply and demand. Now, that sounds easier said than done, but I just want to highlight, number one, I don't have the answers. Like if you're looking for a job in the tech world and there isn't any jobs, I don't, you may need to retrain, you may need to lower your standard for a short time. For a short time, because I think what you said before is so true, Glenn, it's, it's a cycle it is. and it'll change. Yep. So while we want to acknowledge how difficult those situations are, if you've been made redundant and, and many people were made redundant during COVID as well, mm. if you've had those redundancy experiences or you've um, lost your job suddenly, those are really difficult times. So we want to acknowledge that. At the same time, I also want to say it's a cycle and it will change. So it won't stay like this forever. Yep. So what we need to understand with your career, your career is a living thing. It breathes, it moves. There might be good times and bad times, but we just want to set up our careers so we can be removed, if we want, from the award, basically. Like if you want to make more money in your career, you need to set yourself up so you're not paid an award wage. You might be thinking, I'm all good. I don't need to make more money. Actually, I was talking to a friend the other day. I said to him, what do you want to do with your career? Because he's had some changes and whatnot and he's got a young family. And he said to me, I 
have never ever really wanted to have a high income job or career. I've just wanted to start a family. And if I'm just earning enough money to support my family, I'm the happiest person in the world. So this episode might not be for that person. So this episode is for you if you want to increase your income. But I would say increase your income above the award. I would say increase your income and move outside of market forces. Yeah, yeah, I've heard you talk about this example of when you're in a really niche industry that you can actually be removed from those market forces. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so that kind of is stepping into the advanced income quadrant. But before we get to that, let's talk about those who might be in a job who are on an award or you're in bans that are set by legislation. It might be you're a government employee and you work at a local council. You might be a nurse. You might be a public servant. You might be insert government role here. It might be a non-for-profit. It might be that there is just no way on the planet for your job at the moment, you can walk into your boss and say, I want an extra 10 grand a year. Like it's just not going to happen. It's a non-starter. So then we need to say, if you are in that position where you're at a job and we'll say you're a nurse and you're on different grades, what will happen is you will progress throughout the levels. So you'll do a couple of years and then you'll, you know, due to your experience, you'll go up a band and you'll get more money and then it will cap out like market forces. So within your industry, within your role, your income will cap out. Now, if you are at the top of your kind of nursing career and you're at, or a teacher, school teacher, you're at the top, you're a senior teacher or a, a principal and all that stuff, it becomes a discussion not so much about the job but about your career because your career will give you unlimited income if you want it to but your job might not. Yeah, that's such a good distinction. Yeah, and, and the whole thing is like we often talk about, oh, I hate my job, I hate my job or I need a career change. The question is, do you hate your job or do you hate your career? Because they're just two separate things. Yeah, and the other thing is often it could be you hate your job, you hate your career or you hate the industry that you're in because you can often do, like let's say you're a marketer, you're marketing in the health industry Mm. and you hate it for whatever reason. But actually, I think if you're thinking that way, the best thing to do is test the industry first. So you could get the same job in a not-for-profit and be like on top of the world and be like, this industry is way better for whatever reason. Is there anything that you would recommend for people, tangent, but let's go with it before we go to a break. Anything you would recommend for someone who is thinking, oh, I don't know if it's my job or my career. Like how how do you recommend they decide or work that out? I think number one, ask yourself, like this is a make more money episode. If you're at your current job right now and your boss said, here is a 20 grand pay rise or a $10,000 pay rise, after a month of that money, would you still like going to work? (laughs) Because this is the whole thing, like with money, I've said this on, you know, the My Millennial Money podcast, you might say, oh, I want you know, our team needs more mission and vision and values and all that soft stuff for me to connect with it. Well, if your boss stops paying you, you're not going to be around that long. (laughs) So it really, you know, there's that as well. So I think the question is, if you did get a pay rise after the feeling of, oh, I got more money, once the dust settles, 
would you still not like your job? Oof, that's really good. That is a really good question to reflect on, especially as we go into this year, because often what I see is people, they pin heaps of their hope on the, the money stuff, solving other problems. And so what we want to un- understand is, is the money solving the actual problem? And yeah, of course we want to increase our income, like 100% we do. But we also need to make sure it's solving the fundamental problems. So I love that question. People need to write that down, rewind, go back, write it down, reflect on it. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, Glenn, I really want you to share this advanced income quadrant and the four ways we can make more money. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. All right, we're back. And I just want to really plug our book because we have worked so hard on this book. It is amazing. Sort your career out, make more money. I think, Glenn, it's the career Bible. It is. It's 390 pages of everything that you need to know in your career, whether you're just starting out, whether you're at a kind of crossroads, tipping point. It was like, oh, something needs to change. This will help you press reset on your career. Now, you might be saying, well, I'm happy with my career. I don't need any career help. This book, I want you to take it. And I mean, really, it's 25 bucks. It's not a lot of money, right? If you learned one thing to optimize the career that you love, it's worth the investment. Uh, There's people that have read this book before it was published that have got a pay rise from reading it. Did you share it with someone? I showed some of the pay content. Really? And they used it. And they, so if you buy it for 25 bucks, here's the deal. You could be end up with a $4,000 pay rise and it's well and truly paid itself off. In fact, if that's you, you should then buy it for a friend so you get your friend a pay rise as well. I will give Shell a bit of a, a tip of the hat with the book as well. If you are looking at leaving your current job, you like your career, but you don't like your job, Shell will give you all the practical tools we're talking cover letters, we're talking CVs, we're talking all the steps to take to exit well as well. I was reading yesterday, because I'm only just getting onto reading your stuff now, (laughs) um, the steps about exiting well and not burning bridges and just having grace. Like there is so much good stuff in here. And those who are interested in like mindset and all that stuff, there are two huge chapters just on mindset There's stuff about negotiation when you are talking with your boss or employer to negotiate a new pay rise. If you are in that band where you can get 10 or 20 grand more and it hasn't capped out the market forces, like like there's so much good stuff in this book. I can't recommend it enough. Get it on it, buy it. You're going to love it. We'll put a link in the show notes for those who want to jump over and purchase, sort your career out and make more money. Nice. Okay. 
Hit us with it. Talk to us about the advanced income quadrant. Okay. So, the advanced income quadrant, I'll just repeat. This advanced income quadrant, it's only for those who want to increase their income and remove themselves from market forces, remove themselves from supply and demand. It's actually, and that's why I call it the advanced income quadrant, because a lot of the stuff in the book that we talk about, it could be stuff for people in their early 20s who are just starting their career and honing in their skills and strengths and are kind of in that, oh, I've just started education or I've just started nursing and I've got a good six years of um, income growth just for hanging around and doing my job good. Like, So, it, it really is the next level or if you are happy with your income at the moment, you're happy with annual CPI increases, you're happy with any industrial instruments and all that, you don't need this because you're happy with your life and your job and your career. So, I will say that because, and I am ranting, but one of the things that I can't stand in the money world and the personal development stuff is the notion that everyone has to have an empire. Everyone has to be an entrepreneur. Everyone has to be a millionaire. Everyone has to have a million dollar mindset. All this crap. I want to say, if you're happy with what you're doing, it's all good. Like you don't have to do anything. And that's what some of the language in our book, it is very approachable and for those who are just happy with their job and their career. But we do scratch the itch if you want to increase and remove yourself from that nine to five market forces award-based role. Yeah, and so really, it's a good way to give you a framework to know, okay, if I do want that option to increase my income, here's the four, the four ways I can actually explore that. Yeah. So realistically, if you're an employee and you've capped out your award, you've capped out your bands and you want to make more money, you need to step into the advanced income quadrant. Think of a window and doing a cross sign in the air. <laughs> the top left of the four pane window is be a manager of people and or processes. So, to get more money in your job, you may need to move into management and managers manage people and processes. Now, the people person requirement might be higher for this. So, the top left is may need a higher dependence on human skills because you're going to be working with people a lot of the time. But I will say across the bottom pane, and we'll put a link in the show notes and we'll put a diagram on our website of this quadrant if you don't yet have the book. It may be lower risk and we can get into that uh, and to the reasons why. But to get more money in your job, you need to manage people or processes. And you might need to upskill and do some management training. You need to know, well, do I want to be in management? Yeah, because management's not, it's funny, management's not for everyone. Often we think about the career ladder and we think, well, I have to tick the box of getting to a manager role. And really, management, a lot of people will tell you, is like, can be very draining. I've actually met a lot of people who have been manual-based roles. Either they've been a builder or some type of tradesperson. And then they think to get more money and to get off the tools or whatever, they need to go into management. And they do that for a while. And they're just like, this is not for me. I'm just not cut out for this. So anyway, that's one of the four bits of the quadrant is be a manager of people or processes. The second one, the bottom left, and it might need a lower dependency on human skills, is to be a specialist. What do I mean by that? Well, to become a specialist, 
it requires you niching down into a specific topic, usually within your industry. And you're really good at that. And you are known just for that. I mean, in financial planning, and that was my background, there would be specialists who just do self-managed super funds and high net worth and because there's complexities there and they need to be in the weeds of that all day, every day to really get it. I got uh, clients that used to come to me as a financial advisor and people would say, hey, Glenn, we need help with uh, moving our mum or dad into aged care and we need financial strategies for that. I would refer on to a specialist because it's just not what I do. Specialists can charge more because also the market forces, there is not as many specialists as there are generalists. Yeah. So having that depth of knowledge about a particular area gives you higher income earning potential. Yeah. And, you know, we've all heard the story with the medical specialists. A lot of you who have listened to My Millennial Money know my story and follow us on Insta and all that. I've had a heap of ankle surgeries. My ankle specialist, he's not only an orthopedic surgeon specialist, but within that he specializes in keyhole surgery for ankles. And, you know, I had a 45-minute hour procedure. Uh, He charged $3,000 out of pocket. He doesn't work in public hospitals. He basically names his price. But market forces might come into play, unlikely, but if there was three other ankle specialists who just did feet and ankles, who just did keyhole, he might not be able to charge $3,000 out of pocket for an hour. So that's just... You might be thinking in your field, like you might be in IT, can you double down and just do- Cybersecurity. Cybersecurity. You might be in marketing, can you double down on data science and analytics? You might be a builder, can you do architectural refurbishments? (laughs) Like, and and this kind of, this is why this advanced income quadrant, I believe- like I didn't step into this until I was like in my late 20s because I needed the actual experience about the bread and butter. And all this is said with the hygiene factories, you know what you're on about and you're good at it. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I want to just stop there for a sec before we move on to the next two and, and focusing on in the early part of your career, let's say you're between the age of 20, 28. Yep. What I want you to be doing is focusing on breadth focus on getting a diverse experience. Because if you do that, then you can figure out, well, what parts of my career do I really enjoy? Do I really thrive in? Where are my strengths? Once you do that, then you can start niching down. And I think that part that you just described, Glenn, of your own career, it wasn't until you're in your late 20s that you started to specialize. I think that's actually a really good learning for each of us to go, we want to have enough breadth and generalize early And then we move into, okay, now I know, like for me as a HR professional, HR people do heaps of things. They could do award compliance. They could do policies and procedures. So I did the whole breadth of HR before realizing, well, my my space that I'm best at is leadership and culture. So Mm. I want each person to figure out before you go into that specialist zone, what do you love? Mm. Like, what do you like? Your your medical specialist realized, well, they're good at keyhole surgery for ankles yeah. <laughs> because I'm sure that they did a range of things beforehand to work that out. And I'll give you an example. Like one of the surgeries I had with a traditional orthopedic surgeon and sure, there could be some medical advancement happening as well in the background. I won't um, disregard that. But like one of the surgeries, it was open surgery, you know, eight stitches, overnight in hospital, you know, cast and all that stuff. 
the same procedure I had with this specialist, I had to have the procedure again. It was KL surgery, day surgery, walking in four days. Like, so I was quite happy to pay him for the specialty because, you know, I got what I paid for. But anyway, let's move on. The next one, if we look at the other side of the quadrant, the top right window, it is B in sales. So we know with sales, there are uncapped incomes because the more you sell, the more profit you can make. Now, there might need to be also a high dependence on human skills being in sales because you've got to be personable. You've got to understand what the customer wants, but not always. You might do web sales and it's just 100% digital. So a lot of the big income is in sales because they're selling tech solutions to big enterprise companies. So yeah, be in sales. So how can you transition to find what you love, love doing it and sell something? But this quadrant might not be for everyone because you might not be a people person, you might not like sales. So sell something. And particularly if you're in a role with a small business and there is some type of sales thing, you've got more chance of having an uncapped income because this advanced income quadrant, it's about increasing your income and removing yourself from traditional market forces, traditional supply and demand and traditional award-based roles. You know, I've got a friend, he works as a facilities manager. So there might be, you know, the big skyscrapers and you go in and you're like, oh, loading docks there and, you know, all this stuff happening and common property. So he basically manages a heap of commercial facilities, drives around managers. He's found this cool little thing where within his nine to five role, he's been talking to different businesses and different companies and their boss have said, if you ever get someone to rent one of the commercial spots, we'll give you a little commission. So it's just kind of organically happened. So he's lent into that a little bit. And, you know, it's just interesting when you look at this income quadrant, what if you were doing something like that and you said to your boss, oh, hey, I'm meeting all these different people. If I get someone in the door, can you flick me a little bonus? Totally. I love that. And also it doesn't have to be sometimes as structured as we think. We don't have to get a new job title necessarily. I love that example that it just kind of happened organically. Mm. But those are the things we can look for. Now that we have the understanding of, okay, if I have that sales-based role and I get some commission from from that, that can actually increase my earnings. So there's, it's giving us the ideas of, well, how can I move into other areas to make more money? The sales side on the right-hand side of the quadrant, it is more risky than being a manager of people or processes or a specialist because you could be an employee specialist. You could be really good at one specific thing and you're employed to be a specialist in the organization. So that is kind of lower risk. Um, And as well, being a manager, you can be an employee. But with sales, if you're an employee person selling holidays and the pandemic hit, well, that's higher risk because the sales might not always be there. The fourth part of the income quadrant, it's the bottom right and it is to be a business owner. So you own the business, you employ people and you know, most millionaires that I know are owners of businesses. It'd be awesome if there, I'm sure there would be research on this to see like of those high net worth people, how many of them are business owners? Well, you look at the rich lists in yeah. Australia, like they're all business owners. There you go. Most of them. I won't say all, but like, yeah, most wealth in the world is made from people who own businesses. And the reason why is the business owner takes on all the risk. Yes. And you've got to understand and part of the book, sort your career out and make more money. We actually did a whole chapter on risk and perhaps we can do an episode on risk. 
that 101, the higher risk, the higher reward. So it's just about understanding if you want to take some risks. And that's why I put the business owner in sales on the right-hand side, which is higher risk, because there is a potential for higher reward. Higher risk, and they've got that uncapped earning potential on that right side. Now, I want to just recap those four areas. So, area number one, we have be a manager of people and processes. Area number two, be a specialist. Area number three on the right side of the quadrant, be in sales. And area number four, quadrant number four, be a business owner. What I want you to do right now as you're listening to this is think about those four areas and think about which one or two interest you most. So as you've heard Glenn unpack those, what ones are you like, oh, that really interests me? For you, if you haven't managed people before, you might think, well, I've always actually wanted to lead a team. So then I want you to start to think about in 2023, what conversations do you need to have in order to start to position yourself for that? So you might need to talk to your boss this week next week and say, hey boss, I would like to eventually have a chance to do a manager's role to get a sense of if I'd enjoy it or not. Could I cover you when you go on leave at Easter, at Christmas, whenever it is, I want you to start having those discussions. Maybe the specialist one really piqued your interest. So what areas in your field can you go and niche down? What courses can you do to increase that chance that you would Become known in your workplace as the specialist go-to person for data science, whatever it is. Yeah, and I just want to add to the manager thing. There's a principle called, I think it's called the Peter Principle. And basically, we've seen this and you probably work with a lot of them. People rise to the level of their own incompetence. And with managers, the biggest trap that I see that people fall into in their career and in teams is you're really good at being an engineer. There's five engineers that work here. You're the best engineer. So you're the best engineer. So that means you need to be the manager. And they're the most horrendous manager on the planet. That's kind of, you know, you see it all through the public system in terms of the government work and health system. There's so many, and even big corporates, there are so many crap managers because they've risen to the level of their own incompetence. I think that goes to just because you have really good technical skills doesn't mean you're going to have great leadership skills. Mm. Like leadership skills, like anything, they're a skill that you have to learn. They are, they are, leadership skills is one of the most technical skills I think you can build. So just because you're good at your field, whatever that is, doesn't mean you're going to make a great leader. What I want you to do is get exposure, get experience to see if you like it, but also get feedback from people to see if you're any good at it. And I will say on the manager thing, I put be a manager of people and or processes because as an example, Rach Chow, who is our head of production here, she mainly manages processes with all the different podcasts that we do at yeah, My Millennial Money. Yeah, she's so Money. good at it. Yeah. Where... It's not really, she doesn't have a team of 15 people that she's managing, but she's managing a process. And it's a critical process. So I think that's the other thing on that. If if you manage a crucial or core business process that the business cannot function without, you're putting yourself into a really good position to add a lot of value. But in that part of the quadrant, market forces will start to creep in. And the other thing with process, which we should call out, processes can be automated. Yes. So that is typically always going to be roles for leaders, but if a process gets radically automated, then that person managing the process will be more likely to be affected by that. So within this, the left-hand side of the quadrant, they will remove you from market forces and award-based role, but they're also the ones 
that will probably be caught out by market forces. You know, if the head of production at a podcast company turned around and said, oh, I now want $300,000 a year for an income, well, no, I can get labor elsewhere for less than that. So, but because they are in a crucial thing and they are managing something, it means they are more valuable. Yeah, that's right. Let's have a look at some quick risks. So, specialist, you touched on it before, the specialty might be commoditized. What does commoditized mean? Um, so commodities, fuel, oil, coffee, things that are just regular, common even. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, okay, let's real talk. I mentioned the C word coffee. I didn't Rem- know what C word you were going to say. Then. <laughs> yeah. Remember like 10, 15 years ago, boutique coffee roaster, they made all real nice coffee, but now you can get a good coffee from McDonald's. Coffee is commoditized. Good coffee is commoditized. Can you get a, can you get a good coffee from McDonald's? It's, it's good. It's not amazing or great, but the whole bar has been lifted. So so what made you stand out 15 years ago doesn't make you stand exactly. out Exactly. So the market might not need you anymore. Let's have a look at being a manager of people or processes risks. The biggest risk of managing people is that you fall into the role without intention that you're not suited to, which we talked about before. Or another big risk here is middle management at large companies can sometimes be the first to go with restructures. Mm, that's true. So there are risks. Now, in sales, the risks, if you're an employee, a lower base means higher commission structure. So the risk is if there is a downturn or you don't make the sales, you might be on a lower base. You might not have some money coming in for a while. Are sales-based roles most likely to be impacted by an economic downturn? Well, it depends what industry. Like if you were selling uh, Zoom packages during COVID, it would have exploded, (laughs) right? (laughs) You're in a good spot. Yeah. But if you were selling plane tickets in COVID, yeah, yeah, sure. And another risk for sales is usually the harder that you work, the harder that you'll get financial results, but you can't go into a sales role thinking you're going to get more money and not have to put in the hard work because sales is hard. Being a business owner, there are a couple of risks here. Uh, if you've got poor cash flow planning, um, that will get you unstuck. Uh, if you have employees, you need to make sure your team is paid every single week. And if there's, if you don't, that's a big risk. Another thing with business, and it's a whole other podcast episode, but talk about cycles don't take over the world selling fidget spinners because these fads don't have a long business cycle. So you've got to make sure you're doing something that can outstand a lot of things and they're not just a, a fidget spinner. Remember those things? I do. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. I was a big fan. don't start a business selling rat tests. Yeah. For example. So lots of things. So what do we need to do to absolutely guarantee that we can continue to make more money. And I think it is blending parts of the quadrant. Ooh, tell me more. So there could be a an example where you're a state-based sales manager who are in charge of a team of business development managers for a national company. So you're responsible for people and processes, but you also get a commission in that role because if the team do well, you will do well. So you've blended the sales and the people management thing. Nice. So it's, but it goes back to the hygiene factor is you don't suck at managing people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we have to come back to, we want to be really good at what we're doing to get more money. Actually, if we just go down to the basics, be good at what you do yep. as a starter. Another 
blend of the advanced income quadrant. And a friend of ours, uh, she has a cafe in homeware stores called Common Circus. You can look them up on Instagram. The business owner who sells homewares out of a physical location, but has a decent online presence. So you're in sales and you're a business owner. And her stuff's really niche because she does really niche homewares. Yeah. They're super fun and it's really cool. Shout out to them. We love them. (laughs) Another one could be the specialist software developer who is responsible for a team of other developers. So you're in, you know, you've blended that specialist and manager. And one other example could be the physiotherapist who owns their practice and has other physiotherapists working in their practice. So you're the business owner and you also manage processes more than people because you know if you've got a a clinic and there's four rooms well you're not managing the other four people you're just charging them rent for the space so you're kind of managing the process not the people right so yeah seeing if you can blend parts of these and the more that you blend and do well the more money that you'll make and will future proof you from any external cycle I want to ask you, tell us about what you are. Well, I actually, I talked about occupying all quadrants or all four corners of the quadrant. So for me. If you can hear that, that's the book flipping. (laughs) I'm just rehashing. It's my cheat sheet, this whole podcast episode. Um, For me, I manage people and processes and I'm the business owner. So that's two things there. The third one. I'm in sales. I sell ad spots. And, you know, as the audience grows, we make more money from ads. So and share this with a friend. <laughs> exactly. And then the, the fourth one that I occupy is I'm actually now considered a specialist in Australia for personal finance. That you are. So I get messages and calls all the time from different TV shows, radio shows, online publications, traditional publications for comments as the go-to personal finance guy. So you've then increased your income because you've occupied those four quadrants. Now that hasn't happened overnight. No. And I think it's really important that we call that out. It's a slow burn. So you see this as a long game. If you're thinking about making more money in 2023, by the end of 2023, if you just do one of these things, you'll make more money. But if you start to blend two, you'll make more money. But have that long game view because when did you – you probably have been on this journey for about 10 years, would you say? Well, I think I've probably been on the occupying all quadrants for some time because my last business, I had a financial advice business. I was the business owner. I was technically in sales. We were selling financial advice. I had a team of people and I did specialize as well within my business. Uh, so, yeah, I've occupied all parts of the quadrant for a lot of the time. Now, for example, I wouldn't have done as well financially if I was the employee financial advisor who specialised. Yes, but you've got a high risk appetite. That's right. And I think that's really important and something we want to come back to in another episode to talk about. There's a part of this that is risk taking. If Mm. you want to increase your income significantly, you may need to move into business ownership. What's your risk appetite for that? Exactly. I think it's important to talk about STEM roles. So we're talking about science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Yep. This is something we really focused in on on the book because this is an industry, STEM, that 
we're seeing and we have seen for a long time have huge growth. Talk to us about why you want our listeners to be aware of this as an industry. So rewind 100 years. If you wanted to make lots of money, you would go and do something in the steel industry or, you know, a couple of hundred years ago in the rail industry in America, like infrastructure building, like the industrial revolution. Like you need to look, step back and go, okay, what are high growth industries and sectors? You can't say today that the steel industry is like it was 200 years ago. Like it's, it's done. It's now moving into STEM, right? So can you look at high growth industries and sectors? Now, this is overwhelming. And I wish I would have known this when I was in my 20s because I heard of this STEM thing and everyone was like, oh, STEM this, STEM that. I'm like, I'm not good at science. I'm not good at technology. I'm not good at engineering. I'm not good at maths. But what about if you considered working in marketing for a company in science? What if you considered HR in the medical industry? What if you considered sales for a tech company? What if you considered internal accounting for a company that specializes in sustainability? What you're doing now, can you take that and apply it to the STEM high growth industries and sectors? Because there are outliers. I know someone who's in their mid to late 20s. I think she's 27. She's in sales in a tech role and earns over 200 grand a year, which is just freaky for someone in their 20s. It's not the rule. It's not always going to happen, but she's in the STEM industry and doing what she loves, which is the people thing and the sales. Probably couldn't earn that much money as easy if it wasn't in STEM. Don't know. I'm probably wrong, but just to get you thinking about moving into what you like into the STEM world. Yeah, and I think that logic applies for any high growth industry. So if you think about the more profitable a business or organisational industry is, the more likely that profit can be passed on to the employees, which means the more money you can make. So if we have that lens, then we're looking. Now, let's also put this out there. Let's say you work in the STEM field. You might work in marketing in that and you get paid an absolute crap load, but you hate the culture. Well, then it, it does go to show it's not always about money. So we're saying this of going, you want to make more money, here's the ways to do it. But also equally for me, I've worked in not-for-profit for most of my career, wouldn't have traded that for the world, mm. best ever. So it's not always about money, but if you're on this journey of, I really want to increase my income, finding those high growth industries is a way to do it. Absolutely. Well, I've said what I needed to say Anything else, Shell? (laughs) No, I think this is good. I think there is so much that we can take away from this conversation, Glenn. And if you only do one thing, I want you to think about how could you focus in on one area of that income quadrant in 2023 and then look at, at some point, having a conversation with your manager. Talk to them about your goals when it comes to your career and when it comes to your pay. Couldn't agree more. And just reiterating... If you love your job, love your life, love your career, love your work, love all that, you don't have to go and start a business. You don't have to go move to sales. You don't have to be a manager and you don't have to be a specialist. But I can guarantee you, if you do have lofty goals of having a very high performing income career, at some point, I can almost guarantee that you'll need to move into this quadrant. 
Absolutely. It's such a it's such a game changer. It's so helpful. It's helped me heaps in my own career knowing this. Just as a plug for the book, the stuff we're talking about is probably of the 390 pages, just six pages in the book. So Yeah, six pages. Full of love it. it. Full of it. <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, if you love the show and you know someone who can benefit from it, please share it. That's how we get this podcast out there and give us a rating and review. Thanks heaps. See ya. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, and our Spotify exclusive show, My Millennial Daily. My Millennial Daily.